For some reason, governments can't seem to understand that the commercial heartbeat of any economy is transport. And what I'm trying to get across to them is actually, if you actually lower the cost of transport, you actually reduce inflation, you lessen the cost of living crisis, and uh, fundamentally, it would help the economy hugely. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Howard Cox, founder and CEO of Fair Fuel UK, one of Britain's most successful campaign groups. Howard's lobbying of the government is thought to have saved the British taxpayer huge sums of money, potentially amounting to tens of billions of pounds. Every single person that drives a car wants to keep their car. They don't want to be told what car they need to drive or how that car should be fueled, and they want to afford to be able to drive that car. He talks about the dangers facing motorists from soaring fuel prices. So these rich trillionaires in the Middle East can control, and they're holding us to ransom in the West to restrictions that prevent driving in cities like low-traffic neighbourhoods, 15-minute cities and expansion of the controversial ultra-low emission zones that charge drivers for using the roads. One of the most important freedoms in our lives is actually the freedom to travel, get in our car and go anywhere we want. But we're now told we can't go anywhere we want. I'm Lee Hall and this is British Thought Leaders. Cox, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. The UK's 37 million motorists are the fifth biggest source of income for the Treasury and quite possibly the highest tax in the whole world. Do you think British motorists are, are being treated fairly? Well, for the last 13 years, I've been fighting a campaign that is actually for motorists who are not being treated fairly. Um, there's no doubt about it, that, and I'll give, give some congratulations to Rishi Sunak when he was Chancellor. He did drop fuel duty by 5p uh, uh, in 2022, and that was fantastic news. And so we're not the highest tax motorist in the world, but out of nearly 250 countries, we're up in the top five always. And it's wrong because one of the problems we have uh, in this country is that for some reason, governments can't seem to understand that the commercial heartbeat of any economy is transport. And uh, what I'm trying to get across to them is actually if you actually lower the cost of transport, you actually reduce inflation, you prove the, well, lessen the cost of living crisis. And uh, fundamentally, it would help the economy hugely. And unfortunately, both Labour and the Tory government and the current Tory government don't seem to get that yet. They still tinker and play with will he or won't he increase fuel duty, when really what we should be looking at is a long-term strategic plan, which no one's ever had for transport, to actually control the actual cost of what uh, matters to the economy, i.e. pricing, inflation, GDP, all linked to the cost of transport. And so, yes, in answer to your question, very much so, uh, motorists, drivers, white van men, truckers, HGV drivers are all influenced um, um, are big influences on the economy and let's and I my plea to the government is please listen get your act together and start lowering the cost of motoring. So it's not just motorists who are affected really is it because prices are totally influenced by the price of fuel? Absolutely I mean you only have to see when pump prices do come down guess what the first thing any uh, news uh, reporter would say on, on any television, the BBC, ITV, Sky, whatever, they will always say one simple thing. Guess what? Pump prices come down. Inflation comes down. It's a no-brainer. What we should be looking at is actually, you know, 
basically exciting the economy in terms of actually reducing the cost of motoring, reducing the cost of driving, and that reduces the costs in the shops, cost of delivery. We are now an internet uh, economy whereby everything's delivered to our front doors. And guess what? They're delivered by people invariably driving a diesel van or a diesel truck. Reduce that, that cost, guess what happens to the, the economy? And guess what? Those businesses delivering therefore with lower costs actually pay more corporation tax more income tax and they benefit the economy in that way too right you mentioned the 5p cut and richie said was chancellor uh, as somebody who regularly drives long distances i was quite excited about the uh drop in the prices but my fuel bill didn't seem to go down could you explain to us how the prices at the pumps are derived it, it's an interesting one. Do you know what? I don't know the answer. I've been doing this for 13 years. I'm still looking for it. Now, on a serious note, you're absolutely right to ask that question. What we're seeing uh, is a government, and like all previous governments, allow the fuel supply chain, and that's everything from or when oil comes in into this country, refinery, and don't forget we import a lot of diesel, and we, you'll probably come on to the issue of the Ukrainian crisis and how that's impacted on energy prices. But fundamentally, no one knows how pump prices are derived at. When oil prices go up or when exchange rate changes, as you know, a barrel of Brent oil is actually always uh, priced in dollars. And so it's dependent on the exchange rate with the pound and with sterling. What we're seeing is no one understands how did they get to that price? And what we're seeing now is a very, very serious situation where the petrol is round about 3p more than it should be. But diesel is about 20 to 25p more than it should be. Why? Why has someone made that decision to make that massive difference to diesel and petrol? 60% of everything that we actually uh, dispense in forecourts is diesel. It's the commercial heartbeat of the economy. Mm -hmm. And the government, for some incredible reason, doesn't seem to get that. If they reduce the cost of diesel, you watch our economy rocket. It would go absolutely bananas in terms of actually increasing, in terms of GDP, jobs, and believe it or not, if we actually had more money in the pockets for these companies that actually, you know, have uh, uh, HGVs and white vans, etc., they would be able to spend more money on cleaner vehicles, cleaner fuel vehicles, those sorts of things. So no one understands how we get to the price at the pumps. And that's why I've been calling for a long, long time, for five, six years, with a lot of backbench MPs supporting a body called Pump Watch. We need an independent uh, price regulatory scheme of how pump prices are, 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 are arrived at. One of the things we do have is off, uh, you know, we have off gem, we have off what, uh, we have all these, or off com. We control pump prices, but we don't have it for 37 million UK drivers. There's no control of, uh, of prices at the pumps. But having the same thing, I'm a great believer in a free economy and let competition take a, a, a place. But at the moment, the, the fuel supply chain is completely unchecked. They can do what they want, when they want, and how they want. We saw only uh, this week. The uh, OPEC countries are saying now they're reducing production uh, by one billion uh, barrels a week. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know what that means? The, what that means is that there's going to be create more demand and therefore they can put pump prices up. So these rich trillionaires in the Middle East can control, they're holding us to ransom in the West. And what we're not seeing is the government actually taking that on board. And I'm disappointed with uh, you know the Western world not fighting OPEC in such a way and say, what's your justification for doing that? Why do you think there's not been a take-up for this regulator role? About six months ago, Jeremy Hunt, the current Chancellor of the Exchequer, did actually, uh, through various MPs, ask me to write a paper. How would Pump Watch work? And I, I actually put together quite a cogent paper. I think it's well supported by a lot of MPs. 
And we had expected in, in the March budget for him to actually mention that we're looking at Pump Watch and we're looking at actually introducing that. Uh, but he didn't mention that. I'm delighted he froze fuel duty, but that's not enough. And then we hear only recently that he's talking about this is the last year that we're going to freeze fuel duty. Um, uh, you probably remember in the autumn statement of November 22, um, he didn't mention even fuel duty. And the first time in my 13 years of campaigning that a chance hadn't mentioned anything to do with fuel duty. Instead, we saw the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility, only a couple of days later in a press release or a press conference, actually say they're going to increase fuel duty by 23%. That's 12p uh, uh, increase at the pumps per litre. And believe it or not, with VAT on top of the fuel duty, that's nearly 15 pence increase. That's £8 for an average family car driver. It's not sustainable and it's stupid and it would destroy any recovery following the COVID problems we've had. So why they're not doing it, I don't know. I'm fighting like mad. There's a lot of backbench Tory MPs, people like Priti Patel, Andrea Leadsom, Craig McKinley, Jonathan Gallis, a lot more who are actually backing Pump Watch. It will be in his interest if they want to get elected next year in the general election year to actually get on the side of motorists rather than aggravating and threatening them with the same old position, will he or won't he increase fuel duty? The car makers are being told they need to ration their sales of petrol and diesel cars over the next seven years. And then we're looking at an outright ban in 2030. How do you think this is going to affect the average Brit? Well, I've got 1.7 million supporters of Fairfield UK and most of my inbox of about 2,000 emails a week is full of people. What do I do? Do I buy an electric vehicle? Do I buy a hybrid? What's going on? Hybrids are being banned in 2035. We're the only country in the world going at 2030. Uh, in terms of banning new diesel and petrol sales. Why they've come to that? Um, Boris Johnson, when he first came to uh, 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 become Prime Minister, it was 2040. Then it moved to 2035, and then at a whim, it suddenly became 2030. We're the only country in the world saying that you cannot buy a new diesel, new petrol car after 2030. What they need to do and recognise, and I've spent through our campaign a lot of money with, uh, with, with, with the backing of the Motorcycle Action Group and the Alliance of British Drivers, I have actually put together a, an economic analysis by the CEBR. They put together this. It's an independent report that shows this. And this is very important to your, to, to, to your viewers and listeners, that you must understand that the 2030 ban will cost five times more any alleged environmental benefit. Mm. So for... Uh, and, and to get that in perspective... Uh, we're looking at there'll be about £75 billion worth of benefit for environmental jobs and all those sorts of things because of the green economy. But it's going to cost us 400 odd billion more to get that. That doesn't make sense, does it? That's some incredible figures. It seems in Europe they're already pushing back against this. There's this e-fuels idea. Well, I, well, suddenly we're seeing some common sense. The problem we have with e-fuels, which I'm, I support, because that, what that means is you can put an e-fuel into an existing internal combustion engine, a petrol or diesel engine. There might be a little bit of a tweaking we have to do, but fundamentally you can just put replace petrol and diesel with synthetic petrol and diesel, and that's what it's about. But what I'm worried about is that the actual cost of producing synthetic fuels is actually very expensive. It uses a lot of energy, a lot of expensive energy. The problem we have uh, is that the government are so wedded to the electric vehicle. And the electric vehicle is not the solution to actually getting us out of, of so-called saving the planet. What we should do is allow competition to take place and allow clean fuel technology to evolve. If we allow clean fuel technology to evolve, whether it's electric, hydrogen, 
synthetic fuels, e-fuels, all those sorts of things, they should be running in parallel. And whichever wins the battle of the best way of actually lowering emissions, uh, Fairfield UK supports. So there's a lot of talk about saving the planet, net zero, etc. But it seems the solutions put forward are usually take away freedoms, charge motorists more. What are your thoughts on some of these measures, such as the ULATS areas, <laughs> the 50-minute cities? Well, um, Fairfield UK was set up in 2010 to fight basically the highest taxes on any motorists in the world and try and reduce those and try and stop them. And I'm proud of the fact for the last 13 years we've managed to get a freeze. In fact, we've got a 6p reduction, a penny cut by George Osborne in, in March 2011. And in 2022, we got a 5p cut from Rishi Sunak. So we're very proud of that. And it is the longest, uh, 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 you know, in, in any freeze, in any duty, in any levy that's ever occurred. Mm. In answer to your question, Fairfield UK has evolved now. We're fighting all sorts of battles. And one of the most important battles is the freedom uh, to drive. I mean, one of the most important freedoms in our lives is actually the freedom to travel, get in our car and go anywhere we want. But we're now told we can't go anywhere we want. We've got low traffic networks. We're told that if we haven't got the right sort of emission in the car, you're going to be paying an extra £12.50 and then you've got the congestion charge on top of that. And guess what? Those sorts of uh, restrictions hit low-income families. It's a regressive tax. It hits small businesses. Take, for example, only last week I got to a, a, a very long email, very emotive email from someone who is a plumber. And he does. He, he, he comes in from Bromley, which is just outside London, which is subject to this new layers expansion that Sadiq Khan is wanting to push on to us in August of this year. And he comes in every uh, day to do quotes into the central London. And he's now being told that if he drives into London and the ULAS expansion zone, he's got to pay £12.50. Mm. There's no guarantee that he's going to get the business from those quotes. And he's, he's gambling. And he simply said... Uh, on his business future and he said he's not going to do that he's not going to work in london again and that and, it is, and he's not the first to say that and then you've got someone who works shift work something like a, a midwife who works overnight they've got to pay t taxes over through the for two days yeah. and i'm afraid these people are on low incomes it hits low-income families and it hits low-income drivers and small business the hardest there's a lot of issues with the introduction of the ulas like the cameras being bought in advance and things like that um, it seems it's an issue that's, that's going to keep rolling, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was it, it, um, in the public consultation, quotes, public consultation, mm. um, Sadiq Khan asked the question, do you want basically the, the ULEZ to be expanded out towards the M25, the big ring road that runs around London? He, he got the response that he didn't like. And something like two out of three responses said simply this, we don't want that expansion the ULES expansion. We don't want to be charged to drive our uh, vehicles into Greater London. And uh, fundamentally, I'm going to be fighting till I die to stop this man from actually ever getting elected again. And next year, um, uh, in terms of the actual mayoral elections, uh, I've been asked by a lot of people to actually say, will you stand uh, as mayor? Um, I won't admit to say yes or no at the moment, but I am considering my options. And you can read into that what you want. We will. Uh, so you mentioned freedom, and we had Alan Miller on recently from Together. He was saying in the West, the car is synonymous with freedom, really. It lets you go wherever you want to go, whenever you want. Did you start this campaign thinking about finance, but now you're kind of moving towards focusing on freedoms, really? 
I think that's a very good question because it did start with actually, uh, I was doing some consultancy work for a haulage company, had 50 trucks. And I looked at some of his accounts and I saw one particular line that something like 40 to five, 40 to 45% of his costs was fuel. And at that time, 70% of what he was paying was going to the government in tax. I said, that can't be right. He, you know, this is an essential resource that we all need. But it has evolved and it's got to the stage now where I'm actually now looking uh, to say that the freedom in the case of London, I'm sorry to keep bringing London up because, but it's ha it's coming to a city right across to all of the UK. Uh, it's happening in various other areas, places like Oxford and Canterbury and places like that. I've got restrictions about whether you can drive it. You know, people pay a lot of money, vehicle excise duty, uh, to use the roads, etc. And there's cycle lanes blocking roads now, which you can't use. They're looking at low traffic neighbourhoods, which you can't go into. All these things are restrictions on the freedom of our, for us to drive and to go where we want. It is important to understand the safest place to be, both in terms of from uh, catching COVID inside a car, is the safest place to be, and also to go where you want to go, when you want to go, how you want to go. And that's not just for businesses, it's for, the, for Mrs. Bloggs, a, you know, a 75 year old pensioner who wants to go and see her family somewhere, she can get in the car. She can't wait till the bus doesn't come or the buses that are, are, don't support in terms of public transport. All those sorts of things have been absolutely thrown upon us uh, by dictatorial local authorities who had no mandate and they've ignored public consultations and it is a seer reflection on the fact that drivers are seen as easy cash cows and that our freedom to actually drive has been imp impacted badly. So your point about Together Declaration and Alan Miller, what he says, I totally support. You're regarded as one of the best lobbyists in Britain. The figures suggest that since 2010, you've saved motorists £200 billion, which is an incredible figure. Can you talk to us a bit about your approach and how you've achieved that? I, I, well, it's, it's people power. You, 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 in 2010, when, uh, if you remember rightly, uh, Prime Minister Cameron and the Chancellor Exchequer, George Osborne, they got in place, they introduced a thing called an e-petition. And if you got 100,000 people that signed the e-petition, you would get a debate in the House of Commons, on the floor of the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the first to get that. And that was hard work getting that. But we managed to build up a, a, a head of steam of people who signed up to Fairfield UK because we are actually fundamentally fighting for a fair... Every single person that drives a car wants to keep their car. They don't want to be told what car they need to drive or how that car should be fueled, and they want to afford to be able to drive that car. And and I, I what the way Fairfield UK works is using people to actually contact their MP, uh, and we we put together mechanisms to allow them to do that. And you, your your viewers and listeners should understand that we've got one point seven million supporters, which means there's about two and a half thousand supporters in each constituency in the UK. And so where there's a marginal seat, suddenly Fairfield UK becomes important to that MP, and we're coming up to a year before a general election. It's funny how I've got lots of MPs calling me saying, oh, we, we support drivers and motorists. And I say the proof is in the eating. Show us that you do, and we're back here. Um, and as I repeat, etc., I will be fighting tooth and nail, and I'm approaching 70 now, and I've still got the energy to do this, uh, to actually make sure that drivers, and by definition, what they actually deliver to the economy we will be fighting like mad to make sure that common sense prevails because at the moment all we're seeing is cash-grabbing approaches rather than actually 
uh, incentivising drivers to help the economy. When it comes to the, the media and the portrayal of drivers in the media, do you think they get a fair ride? No. Uh, and it's a good question. Do they get a fair ride? I like that. Um, no, they don't. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, it, there is... I hate these labels of left-wing, right-wing type approaches. But even uh, on the right-wing side, you, you expect them to be sorting low taxation and supporting motorists and drivers. They're not doing it because they're being bombarded by uh, this anti-driver, uh, woke, green, well-financed green attack on drivers. Um, and, you know... Uh, and I repeat my little thing about Mrs. Joe Bloggs, a 75-year-old pensioner who drives a little diesel Peugeot 10, whatever it is. This little car that she drives, she has to go and see her family. She has to go to Tesco's to shop. She has to go to the uh, doctors to sort out her, her medical ailments, all those sorts of things. And yet she feels penalised and uh, uh, as though when she gets in her car, she's killing off the planet. She's not. I'm not saying that cars don't generate emissions but they're not the responsibility or they're not responsible for the, the state of our planet. And I repeat, on a bigger picture, and I'm asked this a lot, only 1% of the emissions that comes from the UK impacts on global warming. The other 99% come from places like India, South America, America, North America, etc., China. They're not going to do anything. They're, they're building coal mines, all the sorts of things. We cannot do anything here. Now, it's arrogant to think we can. And I challenge any of the politicians in government at the moment in time, stop trying to think that you can lead the world in actually reducing emissions. You can't. We've done enough. UK is one of the cleanest places on the planet. Stop this uh, virtual signalling rubbish. The, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, price rises at the moment. Uh, the cost of living crisis is hitting hard. We're seeing the most recent budget. There was no fuel duty rise, but the next one uh, could be. What can concerned people do? Well, the, obviously, I'm going to say, please sign up to fairfilluk.com and um, put your name behind that. It's, it's free to do that. And we will, uh, only thing we'll ask of you is to sign a few emails to contact your polit political decision makers, MPs, uh, local councillors, local authorities, to stop this madness and this attack on drivers. Um, we have to fight like mad on this sort of thing because we are being dominated uh, with people who believe that for some reason or another what we can do can actually stop global warming. Uh, uh, before anyone attacks me on this, um, I'm not a climate change denier, but I do not believe there's a crisis. The climate change denier is called basically the weather. We had increases of CO2, and don't forget CO2 is actually a... a of food for plants we wouldn't have crops with you know it's, it's, it's the basis of actually photosynthesis which is a, a way of actually for plants to grow right across the world but what we're being told and we're being told lies uh, uh, in terms of actually what uh, we are uh, inflicting on this planet in terms of the industrial revolution you wouldn't have this video now if it wasn't for the technology advances that we're, uh, we've made. We wouldn't have our smartphones. We wouldn't have our heating. We wouldn't be nice and comfortable. We wouldn't wearing the clothes we've got. What we got. But we have not impacting on, the, uh, on this planet. There are cyclical things happening on this planet uh, because of things like solar radiation, all sorts of things that are happening. It's nothing to do with us. And we can only do one thing, and that is actually make our economy grow. And that means actually lower taxation and putting more 
uh, 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 investment into actually clean fuel technology. I'm all for that. I'm all for actually lowering CO2 emissions and all those sorts of things and NOx and, and particulates. This is an interesting one. Um, recently, a WHO report actually put together a league table of the most polluting particulate matter uh, uh, cities. Um, and particulate matter, there's two sizes. It's a 10 micron size and a 2.5 micron size. And the 2.5 micron size uh, is really indicated in severe uh, things like carcinogenic cancers forming areas and things like that and asthma and and, and, and lung dysfunction. Uh, and, and we should be trying to stop those sorts of things. But the most polluted cities are, believe it or not, in India, in, in South America and all those things, etc. And guess where London is, for example? I'm sorry to keep picking London because there's other cities here, but London is 90th. Right. And the background actual levels of particulates uh, in London is actually acceptable and below WHO worries. But we're still being portrayed by the uh, the media, particularly people like The Guardian, the, the BBC, Sky, etc. They are telling us that we are killing the planet if we don't do anything different. And fundamentally, uh, they've got it wrong and we're being lied to. A lot of people these days feel a bit powerless and these big powers in the world making moves, etc., uh, talking to you and the same way talking to Alan Miller, you get this strong feeling that people power can make a real difference. Absolutely. I mean, we do need people. Uh, we, we we need honesty and we're not getting that. And uh, uh, we need authenticity as well. Uh, for some reason, uh, it, the, the, the UK powers of uh, authority, particularly in Westminster, has been infiltrated by people who have some sort of hidden agenda to say that the, the, the world is ending. It's not going to end. We're being driven by emotion, not scientific fact. And I think we need some honesty. And where that's going to come from, I'm afraid it's not going to come from people like Bill Gates or WEF or the World Economic Forum. Those sorts of places now are actually scaring us and, and dictating policy based on emotion rather than scientific fact. So in answer to your question about uh, it's within our power, people power, to do something about it. And Alan's got it dead right about that. Cox, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. It's been a pleasure.